Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Growing up as a woman, there is so much politics surrounding hygiene. We are here to redistribute, not save anyone. The priority isn't access. The priority isn't health. The priority is profit. What has brought us to this point where Mm -hmm. sanitary Mm -hmm. products are seen as a luxury? Hello and welcome to the To My Sisters podcast. I'm Renee. I'm Tasha. And I'm Courtney. And we are your online sisters and hosts of today's episode of the To My Sisters podcast. We are all about promoting the wellness, growth and development of a community of sisters across the world and today we are going to talk about periods yeah <laughs> all of it the blood the clots There's the money listening going Ew, <laughs> but that's the person that needs to stay because we need to talk about yeah. menstruation today is menstrual hygiene day and we are going to be talking about very necessary things concerning Absolutely. periods because before we hit record, we were having a very good conversation with Tasha, who's going to introduce herself. Mm-hmm. But we were talking about how many smokes and mirrors exist surrounding periods. And as a global sisterhood community, we want to talk about it so that we can really shape our relationship with menstruation, Absolutely. but also talk about women's experiences and what we as a global community can actually do to change a lot of what different women around the world are going through in relation to menstrual hygiene so before we like dig deep into the conversation (laughs) tasha please introduce yourself to the sisterhood tell us about yourself your passion for this topic your work who you are thank you (laughs) um so i i work for action aid uk and we're an international charity Mm. and we work with sisters we Mm. work with women and girls who live in poverty they live in poverty because of happenstance of their birth, where they are, structural injustices, patriarchy, capitalism, you name it. Words they hear every week. (laughs) They're like, where's Tasha been all my life? (laughs) It's that, it's that, right? And so to me, to my mind, ActionAid, we are here, not, although we are a charity officially, Mm. we are not about, charity in that way we Mm. are about redistribution Mm. right we need to move money to people who have power we are not empowering them who have power they have smarts they have ambition and aspiration but there's not the resource Mm. and it is for us to redistribute so that they can live the lives they want to live these are our sisters Mm. these are our sisters too that is so Tasha's good. Actually, already started off strong. We Honestly. said this was an intro. She said, let me tell you about power. Sorry. Oh, no, no, don't apologize here. She Do said, not let me tell apologize. you about redistribution. We because... love a deep conversation. Wow. And that's why we wanted to actually have this conversation on such an important day right. about such an important topic because we are a sisterhood community. And something that, you know, a lot of us can relate to is having a relationship with menstruation, whether it's regular, irregular. We have talked um, and we'll probably delve into, we might as well delve yeah. into our personal experiences, but I've talked about having PCOS. Renee, you've talked about your relationship with um, birth control and how that affects, you know, reproduction, but also menstruation. And I guess growing up, did any of you guys have like awkwardness around getting maybe your first period or when you saw your period? (laughs) What were your feelings towards that first sight of blood? Blood. Well, awkward (laughs) I think the thing about menstruation it's funny because we've had such a journey and as Courtney mentioned we've all had our kind of individual dealings with menstruation Mm -hmm. I think because for a lot of women our things or things that are pertaining to specifically women have been 
seen as something to be hidden, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the things, even when we think about sex, for example, when we think about reproduction, having babies, when we think about um, anything to do with our reproductive system or health, it's been something because it only is something that we go through seems to be something that we often have to hide. So I remember my first period, I had no idea what was happening to me. It literally happened on my way back from school. Mm. I just remembered like, feeling this sharp pain like in my lower abdomen and wondering like what's going on (laughs) and then I went to the bathroom and I was like I am bleeding I ran out I was like mom am I dying and she's like no 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 come to the corner come come sit sit down with me child let's have a conversation (laughs) and she explained to me you know what reproduction was um she explained to me about about my periods but I think what was also very interesting was it was framed around sex as well Mm. right so it was very much a you have your period, but your period is a sign that you're not pregnant. Therefore, don't, don't be pregnant. having sex. Yeah. Don't be outside here. Don't be having sex. <laughs> and I think even that framing went on to shape my relationship with my body and with um, reproduction, mm. right? That as a woman who, you know, our worth is often wrapped up in whether we should be having babies at a particular time mm. or um, our value is wrapped up in, you know, like um, sex positivity and like how much we're having sex and all that kind of stuff. It was such a unfortunate beginning to my relationship with sex in that you know we at least for me growing up in purity culture chastity culture the importance of remaining pure Mm. and now this sign of like womanhood is now one of the clearest signs that I must look out for every single month in order to ascertain that I'm pure that I'm chaste that I'm um you know golden and it's so interesting because even when we think about the other other necessary conversations that we need to have around menstruation, like for example, the pain, like how do we deal with that pain? Um, The access to, you know, menstruation related products, um, various other things that took second place to chastity, Mm. purity, all that kind of stuff. So it was quite a shame actually that, you know, when I had my, my first period and my subsequent periods after, it became something that I simultaneously looked out for in order to validate mm. myself as a pure That's chaste really woman. Good. But also it was something that was causing me a lot of pain and something that I also had to hide away because it wasn't something that we had conversations around mm. about, you know, at the school table. Mm. And I remember I got it when I was 11. So I was in like year six at the yes. time. Wow. I went to a mixed school. And no one said anything about it. Like I, I didn't even know that like girls had periods like that. And it wasn't something that was also at the school curriculum. So I learned yeah. about, about menstruation as part of the curriculum way later on, like maybe when I was 14, 15, 16. So that gap, right, um, that was necessarily filled by culture and what culture, the culture around me dictated um, was unfortunate. Yeah. But that was my experience yeah. from the beginning. Yeah. But I have spoken a bit. Miss Tasha, I would love to hear. Tell us. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm absorbing <laughs> this. <laughs> um, like, uh, roughly what year would you have been 11 years old? I think it was like year six. On the brink of, I remember I was literally on the brink of like year seven. Mm. So it was like year six into year seven. So, Primary so I'm not schools, sure how old you now. What, what, what year? Like that was in a the good like... Two- 15 years ago? 15 years ago, yeah. Wow. Because I, I, I wondered coming into this conversation, mm. I hoped yeah, yeah, yeah. that the conversations were happening earlier in schools. <laughs> and I'm, I'm hearing a conversation that would be typical of girls my age, right? right? Yeah. I'm mid 40s. Mm. That would be typical. And there was not the appreciation that girls start periods before senior school. You don't right. wait until senior right. school. Right, right, right. This right, is right, ridiculous. Right. It's crazy because my mum had her first period when she was 18. Mm. So when I came home, similar to you, 11 years old, like I'm bleeding, she was just looking at me like, mm. huh? Like, <laughs> What's going what on? are you eating? What's in the water <laughs> in this country? Like, why are the girls having right, periods at 11? Right. And it's crazy that, in during primary school you're not given that education it's just kind of like here's a diagram of a vagina these are the different parts but no idea of what that vagina does and what my relationship is to be with it and so when you then see blood you're kind of like "Mm, i'm dying (laughs) every month (laughs) specifically every month i'm dying but then also the at the same time there's that panic but then it's like oh now it's it's a sign of something and like you said that culture of shame that then teaches us about it and the messages we internalize about it but honestly tasha please share with us well, I suppose I, w- I was kind of lucky. My parents decided that as soon as we asked the question, you know, like, um, 
I think I said to my mum, what, what, what would we do if dad wasn't around, mm. right? Because I knew he was at that time, mum wasn't working, dad was bringing in the money. So how yeah. does that work? And then mum decided this is now when we tell Tasha about periods. So I'm the youngest of four kids. The rest mm. of them are quite a bit older. And we sat around the dinner table that night and we talked about sex a lot. Wow. <laughs> and I was about six, seven. Yeah. Wow. So I then went into school and I guess I sort of realized I had a bit of power. Mm, I knew something. The holder of knowledge. Right. <laughs> so, so I took all my friends, lined them up around the wall and I took each of them one in 10 and I told them what sex was, which probably isn't how sex education should happen. And 10 years later, actually, a friend of mine who was doing uh, like a project for school asked people, where did you first learn about sex? And they're like, well, Tasha Burgess took me out of the walk. So excruciating. I didn't think it'd come up again. But in terms of my first period, so I knew what it was going to be. Mm. But I, uh, <laughs> this is so silly. I used to eat a lot of beetroot. Mm. No. I weed mm. red and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm a woman. And mum's like, no, it's no, you're not a woman. <laughs> I enjoyed a bit too much beetroot. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then I had my first period and it was... I guess because I knew I was equipped. I was really fortunate yeah. in that I was equipped. Mm. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't so bad. I had embarrassing issues later on, actually. In adulthood, when I had my first job out of uni, mm. was in parliament with an MP. Wow. Contrary to what is often thought, the pay is not great. Oh, yeah. Particularly when you first start out. Yeah. I couldn't always afford sanitary products. I had used some tissue one day. Right. And I bled through everything my um, pants my jeans onto the chair and luckily i was working with two women in their 60s oh, right man, so i was just like this has happened i need to go i called two male friends who uh lived uh, over lambeth bridge mm. and i went around to theirs stripped off below the waist stuck it all in their washing machine put a towel around my waist sat and watched bad afternoon telly with them mm. for the day <laughs> but i was Recovery. i have been so lucky mm. i think i've been lucky that is a very interesting story um i think for me it was slightly different because similarly my mum used it as an opportunity to kind of have the sex conversation mm -hmm. but uh was it a sex conversation mm. it was more of a don't, don't have, have sex, sex. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> iconic don't have sex don't but then also it was heavily surrounding hygiene mm. now and keeping clean mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like it, that this kind of cleanliness was a big thing like you know you're gonna have your period but don't allow yourself to smell yeah, and i think even yeah. now um growing up as a woman there is so much politics surrounding hygiene oh, and like yes. you know hygiene not, olympics. yeah it's it, <laughs> hygiene olympics is exactly the term and i've been seeing so many people make content about it online but i think it's so interesting that like the thing was having a period is normal but letting people know you have a period at the, right. or you're on your period right. that is not normal people mm. should not know so don't feel shame about your period but hide it yeah you know and that was kind of the the conversations that surrounded it very mm. much especially when it came to men like don't let men know that you have your period and like stuff like that it's like what what is this top secret thing Yo. that every woman goes through um and i guess have you guys experienced that kind of culture of secrecy and shame and i guess cleanliness that mm -hmm. surrounds menstruation and how have you kind of dealt with that growing up Yes, yeah. in as much as, you know, those moments in an office or at school where you're trying to work out how you get a sanitary towel because it hasn't come at a time when you're expecting yeah. it and you end up asking for it almost as if you're asking for, you know, can you chuck me a cigarette? Literally, the table? it's like <laughs> dealing drugs. drugs. The, yeah, the drugs <laughs> on the table. It's just sanitary towel. You kick it under the... Honestly, my favourite one is when you have to ask like a lady around you to be like, oh, have I stayed? And so yeah. you do like the little covert yeah, walk the to just be like, <laughs> peep me. Like, am I, am, I, am I still good? And yeah, they're like, yeah, yeah. No, you're fine, you're fine. And everyone's trying to just be so secretive about it but it is it's like the experience you were or the story you were describing right where when you seep through your clothes and i've had so many moments Honestly. when that has happened especially when i found out i had pcos and my oh, yeah. periods became so heavy mm. i was soiling through clothes left right and center and i think that is like the height of embarrassment right. when somebody stops you and is like oh you've like you've bled through and you're kind of like oh my gosh like i need to run run away basically so i think it's so sad that one of the main emotions people can associate with periods is embarrassment right yeah. no i've kind of just dried up just no. <laughs> about so it. how do you think we then got to this place culturally right. where 
periods are embarrassing mm. for women, even in their adulthood. Patriarchy. Yeah, that's right. Talk to us about it. <laughs> well, it just it's it's a global. It's a mm. global thing and there are different extremes of it, right? right? So we work, for example, we work in Nepal mm. and in Western Nepal, there's this thing called uh, Chapadi. And it's the idea that women are actually dangerous as well as unclean wow. during their period. And so for that time, they have to leave the family house and they have to go into menstruation huts. Wow. They're often poorly built very cold in the winter, boiling hot in the summer, not provided with proper food. And there have been the women who are kind of sent there, the women and girls, and they, there have been deaths as a result of this, right? Wow. In 2010, there was an 11-year-old girl went there. She had diarrhea, because there's, there's not proper hygiene products mm-hmm, and stuff mm-hmm. to cater for the mm. period. She had diarrhea and she was really unwell and her family were too scared to go and take her to hospital because they thought if they touched her, then the bad luck and all the things surrounding, you know, a woman who is having the period, anybody having their period, would then transfer to them as a family. And that is the power of this. And although Chapaldi was actually made legal in 2005. Legal? Illegal. Oh, illegal. Right, in Nepal. So the Supreme Court said, no, that's a yeah, not anymore, don't do that right? anymore. And in 2017, they actually made it a criminal offense yeah. because the tradition wasn't changing. And the reason the tradition wasn't changing is actually, I th- it's because these things have become so ingrained, this idea of impurity and danger. And actually what is really, really worrying about this is it played on women. It played on women because they thought, well, if I don't follow Chapaldi, then... I am going to bring bad luck, misfortune on my family. Who's going to do that? Even if it's made legal, even if it's made criminal. Right, right. So there's different, you know, there's different versions, there's different, you know, extremes and consequences of all this for people. But it is a global phenomenon. Except, oh, I'll give you one exception. Go on. Which makes me so happy when I was researching this. So... The indigenous people of Australia, they found mm, a painting on, on a rock, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? And it's these two women <sighs> dancing whilst having their period. I was like, wow, it's such a joyous picture. I will mm, send you it, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to put it up on my wall. Oh, please do. Because they that were celebrated. So that is, yeah. Just a follow-up question on that, because I love the fact that you mentioned patriarchy as mm-hmm. one of the main determinants, but also the... One of the main factors contributed to the shame around, you know, periods, menstruation, and then the comparison of indigenous communities and yeah. in that example. What are your thoughts on kind of like the differences between the two, right? The potential um, matriarchal communities or communities that exist outside of the structures of patriarchy. Like what we're really getting at here is to what extent is this um to what extent is patriarchy, sexism, and structures and institutions which center around women as inferior contributing to menstruation being seen that's as something good. that's shameful or something that's to be hidden? I would think, though I'm no expert, hugely, because we also, we don't have the same voice. Mm-hmm. We don't, we are not taken seriously we don't have that positionality right whoever we are wherever we are even in kind of matriarchal societies and i'm sort of partly from one i don't i i still see women who are being judged and put down uh and um stigmatized for what they do what they go through um so yeah it's other voices other voices that get centered yeah about these things for sure sure. so in terms of that then in terms of the voices that are heard I guess the work that Action Aid does and the work that you've taken a part in has been about kind of people who may be marginalized in these kind of conversations and as we were discussing earlier who are othered oftentimes by the work of charities but also just in conversations whether it be about female empowerment Mm. or dealing with global issues like poverty period poverty women often find themselves on the sidelines and um there are these voices that kind of go unheard Mm. and so what would you say has been um one of the biggest ways action aid but also 
just the work of charities have been able to give voice and well not even give a voice they have a voice give volume to those voices and actually center them yes Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. The answer is yes. The representative has said yes to this question. It's a yes. <laughs> yeah, we're here to amplify. Yeah. And it's not about power over, it's about power with. Yeah. And the right. only way to get that sustainable, meaningful change right. is to ensure that is it is happening there with the women and girls, our sisters, Mm. right there, right? So the way we work is that we kind of partner with women's rights organizations. And the work is around um, information, giving information, uh, enabling, facilitating the innate power of women and girls Mm. to come out and realize the lives that they they want to live yeah. right so for example in that example with the chipaudi yep so we have there are and when i say we i'm talking about action aid nepal this isn't the uk doing some right. weird neo-colonial good, thing good. This Hello, is, i'm glad no, you mentioned yeah, that to be honest with you i think that's one of the fears you have yes. surrounding charity exactly. right yes. because exactly. it can be not to criticize anybody no, you know fine. i'm not calling names mm-hmm. but um <laughs> It can seem like a neo-colonial adventure into kind of, you know, othering, saviour complex, complex, um, kind of belittling cultures and just being like, oh, you know, you guys need saving. You know, you guys need rescue. And here we are Mm. with all our education. And I think it's even that, like the advancements and and how much technology and the advancements in medical care kind of Mm -hmm. contributes to a feeling of superiority and realizing that actually there are other ways, other cultures um, manage menstrual hygiene, which can be as valid. Um, However, there is a need for work to be done. So how do we then partner like you were saying, power with, how do we then partner with them? So tell us more about that. So it's definitely about being there. It's, yeah. We, our job, so far as I see it in the our Action Age UK, mm. is, re, as I said earlier, kind of redistributing, right? That's what we're about. Mm. And as you say, it is not about saviors. It's not about people feeling good because they've given some money. It's because you're doing the right thing. Not the good thing, it's the right thing. That's Mm, the fundamental point here. That's such a good distinction. And so on the Chapaudi thing, so I can give an example here. So we've been working in Western Nepal for 10 years. And since then, more than 1,400 women of reproductive age have stopped engaging in Chapaudi. Not because anybody has told them not to, but because there has been uh, reflective circles, right? Where women come together and they talk about issues of concern to them. Mm. And the women know that this is restricting their lives. It is dangerous to their lives. Mm. And they have a right to a a safe period yeah. you know and the conversations are about why you yeah. have that right so we're yep. a rights-based organization and those rights emanated from the wants and the needs as articulated by those women and girls yeah. so that's that's why it works and one of the women we work with we work with action hey, yeah, work with. Yeah. <laughs> she said when i was campaigning about chopardi in my uh my in-laws, along with my husband, said it was not right to sleep inside the house, but we convinced them. And we did our best to convince them that it is not the right thing and we should sleep in our own home and eat nutritious food because they were being denied nutritious food for wow. this period as well. So it was women recognizing their rights and the harms down to them. And there is no kind of cultural relativism in this that would allow for harm to women and girls mm. do you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so yeah i think i think that's that's how we need to see ourselves we yeah. need to move away from that kind of live aid way of looking at the world for sure and you're sure. right we need to de as a sector right the you development <laughs> sector for want of a better word here needs to decolonize, needs to work on anti-racism, needs to work on specifically anti-black racism, mm, right? Yeah. And actually I've just come from two days mm. of working on that. Um, and it's it's really exciting for the, for the women of color, for the women who have heritage in the majority of the world, the women who are from the majority world who work mm. in Action Age UK, right? Mm, yeah. 
it is it is actually a painful thing to go through to an extent because mm. you are recognizing sometimes the starting points that we're going from mm. but it is a change that has to happen and mm. the fundamental part of that is that we are here to redistribute and not save anyone mm. and that also means talking to different people I love that yeah you know and that's the power of stories right allowing people to actually tell their stories and have a voice about what it is they're actually going through rather than assuming and just putting on this kind of oh we we empathize it's like no because you don't know and if you don't Mm. listen you can't you can't have empathy and you can't really do effective work yes yeah and the 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 representation of women and girls right on the ads and the photos Mm. and stuff and people looking entirely disempowered and without agency and that is the opposite our work is about fueling what is there you know okay so we've talked about the cultural side the traditions the, right, the right, right. Our, our experiences but also the different traditions around the world which can contribute to our relationship and our view of menstruation but now let's get into the economics yeah because period poverty is one of the biggest like issues as of right now whether people want to give light to it or not and let's talk about from our perspective Mm -hmm. living here in Mm -hmm. the uk costly lives cost of living crisis Crisis. is very real (laughs) and it's sad that like you know it's not just about the whole oh you can't afford avocados you know how like people talk about young people and their participation in finance and it's like oh you can't afford the luxuries cancel your netflix subscription whatever and i love that you brought up homelessness because the reality is for a lot of people a yep. growing population and a huge number of people young especially women as well mm-hmm. the reality is it's not about cutting the luxuries and the subscriptions it's actually not being able to afford sanitary pads yeah. and tampons and fundamental the things rights. that are fundamental rights and necessities for them especially knowing that menstruation is something we deal with every month every oftentimes month. Mm. So let's talk about that. What has brought us to this point where mm-hmm, sanitary mm-hmm. products are seen as a luxury? Honestly, shock horror. Um, <laughs> no, shock horror because it frustrates me so much. And the thing about this conversation is that they bleed into each other, right? right? So thinking about the fact that culture and society pervades this myth that periods are meant to be done in private right. or something that doesn't affect everybody or, you know, smoke and mirrors. When things are not given their full space to exist, then we can't tackle them. Mm. So for something like periods and menstruation, because they seem to exist behind closed doors, mm. because we're not, you know, shouting on the hilltops, obviously now we're seeing a lot more organizations like Action Aid, yeah. but also other organizations, other individuals that are now talking about the woman's experience, mm. right? Or rather the menstruating experience, right? We now have something w- with which to target. And I think it's the same in so many other different issues that are affecting different groups. When they're not given their opportunity to shine, then we can't tackle it. So I think the beginning of this disempowerment around access to sanitation and you know sanitary um, products started with the fact that we are not willing to be honest with ourselves that this is something that women deal with and this is a colossal issue because if we're thinking about women women make up almost more than half the population you would think that something that genuinely you like around roughly half the population deal with some you know issue to do with you know menstruation or um, just even having access to sanitary products because you don't necessarily have to be a menstruating person to need access to sanitary towels right but because we have not given ourselves permission or the range to have these conversations Mm. on a global stage um on on the internet in our communities because we haven't given voice to these issues it becomes really difficult to then advocate for these issues Mm. suddenly it's a silent majority but we need that silent majority when it comes to policy making when it comes to um should this be a right or not should this be cheap like cost of living crisis and you need a sanitary towel and these things are like what three four five pounds and it's like oh it's small but it is a lot. But it's a lot. And this is just based off of if you're a single woman, for example, who's well to do. What about the women that, you know, have families? Or what about the women that are below the poverty line? What about the women that are homeless? They have Mm. to rely on people's goodwill Mm. for something that is a fundamental human right. Or they have to rely on somebody's perception of them because oftentimes when, you know, that's a whole nother episode to talk about our relationship to homeless people, right? A homeless woman will come up to you and ask for money. Right. The assumption is she's going to use the money for drugs or she's going to use the money for this. And it's like, no, actually, 
sis is also menstruating every month yeah. she doesn't even have a home yeah so something like a sanitary towel or something like a tampon is yeah. like out you know off the charts yeah. for her and that's just talking about accessibility to sanitary products we also need to have a conversation around access to sanitary products that are actually healthy for us. Mm-hmm. Ooh, so sanitary products that, that are not full of chemicals, <laughs> for example. Sanitary mm-hmm. um, products that are not necessarily profit-oriented. Yeah. So we're using cheaper materials that yeah. are causing things like toxic shock syndrome or yeah. things that are um, you know, causing people to have allergic reactions. Yeah. This is you know, women's real reproductive yeah. systems that are being like profit yeah. just just profit is the focus yeah, and it yeah. frustrates me so much because how often do we have to go through the process of even trying to find something that works for our bodies 100%. right something that actually allows us to be comfortable yeah. like something that actually allows us to feel free yeah and it just goes to show with the range of sanitary products that the priority isn't access the priority isn't health yeah. the priority is profit 100 percent. because there really shouldn't be 10 different 10 million different types uh-huh. of sanitary products mm. there should be a few sustainable yeah. um, sanitary products that should be um facilitating the health and well-being of the majority of women 100%. but there are the fact that there's even quality differences in yes. sanitary products yes. tells me that this isn't something that people say is a 100%. fundamental right but something that facilitates more profit 100%. and this is what happens when we weaponize women's reproductive systems under a capitalist world yeah and we use it against them and i think it's so important that you highlighted that these products are often dangerous towards women but like even starting with that access point i think the education of people like we were talking about our primary school experiences right when people especially let's keep it real when men who then go to occupy the majority of these positions of power and where they can actually impact policy are not actually educated very well on what menstruation actually is. They end up making decisions out of ignorance and downplaying the importance of the things which we deal with and combat on a daily basis. So I think it's women are very much whether they are educated or not and they have their you know difficult relationships with menstruation that is one thing but then when they are not giving the room to actually impact policy and have these conversations at a high level women then don't get what they need but then i think there's also this commercialization of sanitary products which is very dangerous as well because then you it's kind of linked to femininity and the feminine experience and um, like we were talking about in terms of hygiene Olympics, it's like, oh, you know, you want to smell good. You, It's like all the flowery stuff. And now you have these sanitary products, which are heavily fragranced, even though fragrance around the vagina is like mm, associated yes. with like BV, thrush, all of these things. And it's like, yeah, but you want to smell nice. You want to open up the packet and yeah. it feel like you've entered a magical garden for your lady garden. And it's like, <laughs> no, I just yeah. want to bleed in peace yeah. without being scared of toxic shock, right, without right, being right. scared of contracting um bacterial infection or just something crazy going on down there and i think because there is like so little education surrounding women's bodies women's bodies are still seen as that commodity that you know thing that we want to be perfect and completely untouched and smell nice and be comfortable Mm -hmm. and enjoyable to consume that we're now giving them products which are dangerous to their health and so many of us still have that catch 22 surrounding well firstly these products are highly expensive secondly are these products even good for me right and then on top of it the marketing aspect that surrounds it now makes it seem as though yeah this is really good for your femininity Mm. we don't really care about your reproductive health right right? Mm. so yeah what what's the kind of work that needs to be done then to is that Tasha's like, Tasha's like I'm about to give you point evidence explanation no I'm just I, I, I'm loving this conversation. My mum always says, like, if an alien landed from Mars, yeah. came to Earth and started watching telly and they saw the ads directed at women, they'd be like, my God, these women people, what's wrong with them? They're telling them to evacuate. It's actually so true. <laughs> Come home with us to Mars. Totally, right? Like, the number of pictures of women laughing while eating salad. Stuff like that. Those sort of ads, right? Oh, please. please. We're going to have you for another episode. Yeah, you because... <laughs> I think you're the missing third sister. Hello. Because we're like surely not like the representation of women actually enjoying these things and also right firstly there is a lack of representation of women having periods and we were talking about um 
I may destroy you before. And yeah. You were, yeah. The story that yeah. you were telling about like the blood clot on, on the show, but it's crazy how even the very few depictions that exist of women having periods aren't necessarily about the reality of mm. what having a period is like for the majority of women. It's right? always a metaphor it's as always, well. Oh, yeah. Using the red butterfly. Or it's an insult. Do you get what I mean? Or it's, a, oh yeah. Or like the little juice. Yeah. The, my one is, that's always like the little red dyed water that they pour. It's like, whose blood looks like that? Right. Like, uh, let's be so real. Maybe but, it looks beastly when you, some of us are having our period. Right? It's this thing yes. that we then see. I remember like seeing a really big blood clot when I had like a very bad period and being so afraid. Yeah. And it's just like, even now, because of the sanitation that exists in the marketing periods and how much the reality of pain, cramps and stuff yes. like that isn't shown, when you have those things, you kind of think, oh, is there something like really wrong with right. me? Um, but then on top of that, how much it's then weaponized against you. Like think about um, the comments that are made in workplaces or even in relationships where it's like, oh, she's just on her period. Mm -hmm. And how much it's like associated with us just being hysterical women who cannot keep their emotions intact and cannot be productive because oh, they have this thing that sets them back and like impairs them. It's like a disability basically. They're having a period. And all like how much advertising plays into that mm -hmm. and the conversations we do, but most importantly don't have, yes. then play into it. But sorry, we, we interrupted you. No, no, you bang on. Do you know what I mean? And I think the estimate for the UK is the average woman spends about £5,000 over her lifetime on sanitary products. £5,000, oh, right? we could do with 5K. Yes! Damn. We and they're telling us to cancel Netflix to be able yes. to buy homes. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> exactly. We already pay... You know, we get paid less. Mm, exactly. Mm, Our hair costs mm, a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> that's, it's like how much people actually profit and market yes. on us, but underserve us as people. Yes. Yes. Man. <laughs> Man. So, you know, I, I, actually years ago, I started work on a campaign that was about getting free period products for mm -hmm. anybody who menstruates mm. in this country that wants them. Mm. Uh, I wanted to call it End the Blood Money. I think it's a cracking name, right? That is good. <laughs> and I would love us to start that again, that actually, because there were some moves by the government a couple of years ago to yeah. say, you know, we'll start providing them in certain like levels of schooling, depending on your age okay. and stuff like that. But it's like, we need more. We need to go further. Because as you say, this is, at its, at its worst, this is life and death stuff, right. actually, right? Um, but fundamentally, it's it's a human right issue. Interestingly, I have seen men commenting on this on Facebook and saying, but we don't get free raises. <laughs> Will you die if you grow a beard? No. no. Even though, in it's fact, right. some of you would look better. <laughs> Might even improve some your life. Some of you guys would look little. better. Yeah. Some of y'all need to grow out that beard. <laughs> <laughs> need to put down the razor. How about that? <laughs> so, yeah, we need to get you know some equality policies in right. and an understanding in the population of differentiated equality yeah. as well is so important because i'm so tired of hearing comments like well that's like reverse discrimination isn't it no it's not no it's really not um yeah Child. god we need, this we need, is really... we need funding we need a change need... in the attitudes and and this is actually this is what happens when you get more women in those decision-making yes. positions yes. in politics, I mean, my goodness, rape in marriage was perfectly legal till the early nineties, right? If you do, it's women are literally seen as just like these foreign objects in our society. We don't know what to do with them, and then every day they have a complaint. Why do they talk? Why do they breathe? They're a nuisance. And then when we do actively try and speak out, when we do actively occupy these positions of power, all of a sudden we are. Just leaving our domestic duties. The family is breaking up. Have a revolution. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, God. Yeah, get back um, in your box, ladies. Yeah. Honestly and truly. Um, I actually wanted to ask in terms of, obviously there's quite a lot of work that we can do holistically as yeah. a society. Yeah. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done around policy making mm. and all of that kind of stuff. And sometimes it can feel a bit intimidating when mm. you want to see such a big change in society. Mm. Um, and obviously we don't want to, put it upon the individual to mm -hmm. be the you know front runner for all kind of social change mm -hmm. but one thing that we really advocate for in to my sisters is to clean up your bit of the world right mm -hmm. so speaking to some of our sisters that are listening that may have you know really resonate with some of the sisters that are dealing with period poverty and other you know areas of the world even domestically 
as individuals, how can we play our part in making the world a better place for others, you know, other sisters that are suffering from um, some of the ill effects of period poverty? Thank you. Thank you for raising <laughs> that. So I suppose being from ActionAid and uh, I, I absolutely need to talk about this, right? Mm. The financial, the redistribution is is critical. Right. So as part of uh, World Menstrual Hygiene Day, yeah. We are fundraising, right? Mm -hmm. Three pounds, just three pounds, would buy a hygiene kit with wow. clean sanitary towels in there and products for people who cannot afford it. They cannot go to the local shop or the local cafe where there's some way you can get to the toilet and take some mm -hmm. toilet tissue or anything. There is nothing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, seven pounds will help pay for a class, right? Wow. A fun class where you can go and learn how to make reusable oh, sanctuary great. products, which speaks wow. to your yeah. really important point about having stuff that's good for you yes. and that is sustainable, right? And then £10 will pay for or contribute to the salary of a nurse who can go and have conversations with local women and girls who are experiencing period poverty yeah. and it's, but it's about it's about their bodies what is happening to our bodies during menstruation yeah. what their rights are as mm. women and what they can advocate for so you know there is that hard bit of me saying yeah money please yeah, <laughs> yeah. please help with, with the money it's it is necessary. totally necessary in addition to that, because we know, right, we, we did some polling mm -hmm. with YouGov for World Menstrual Hygiene Day, yeah. and we saw that last year, 12% of women said they were struggling to afford period products. 12 months later, 21% of women and 17% of them aren't going out, aren't going out at all if they don't have products. And as you can imagine, because this is what women do, a lot of them are saying, you know what, heating, eating, dealing with my bleeding is definitely the last, last. thing here, right? Because the other two are about a whole family often. Mm. So they sacrifice. Or if they need to get it for uh, anyone else that's menstruating in the family, a dependent, mm. they will prioritize them. So we, we need... We need to address this as a matter of urgency everywhere. There are organizations that work specifically and domestically. Yeah. You know, Red Box Projects, Bloody Good Period are amazing. Yeah. I've worked with all of those before. But on the international context, we're looking at, at, at the situations of people in refugee camps, yeah. you know, who, oh, it's, 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 it's kind of overwhelming to think about, right? Yeah. You go... You have been through an enormous trauma, mm -hmm. right? And then our sisters managed to get to a refugee camp, which in itself is a massive achievement. Mm -hmm. You get there and you have your period. You are surrounded by strangers. You're going to be feeling potentially embarrassed about it. You're going to be feeling the stigma and the reactions of other people you're surrounded by. You don't know where to go to get sanitary products, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people might choose to stay in the tent or the, the shelter that has been constructed for them and not go out. Yeah. And that means you could miss your place in the queue to get your food Ooh. for that day, right? Damn. You're going to be using rags. You're going to be using tissue. You're going to be using whatever you can get your hans hands on, on, right? And I have, and I'm sorry, I've come like equipped with these highlighted yeah, quotes. We love you a gotta prepared tell, queen. Got to tell, tell us the facts. <laughs> <laughs> There's too many podcasts out here. They just come and talk. Oh, you better talk about it. They you better talk, talk about it. You said we're coming with the stats <laughs> and the listen, facts. Listen, we have research. Oh, <laughs> do you know what? I was so painfully aware when I listened to your podcast. I'm like, holy moly. These are like some seriously intelligent women with these oh. lashings of like kindness and compassion but there is no not doing your homework. Absolutely <laughs> not. Because we will call out some BS. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But look, it also goes to show that there are areas where we actually need expertise yes, like you, which exactly. is why you're even here, Tasha. Like this level of yeah. preparedness, like we are very much babies in that, that terrain. So genuinely, like we really appreciate the fact that you're giving us your insight, your yeah. knowledge, your expertise, and also sharing your journey. Because yeah. if there's one thing that we really value in the sisterhood, it's knowledge from different places yeah. and your knowledge is so valuable given you know the state of the world and the state of things for the sisters so genuinely look we are inspired by you and inspired yeah. by your work so and we are so thankful honestly thank well, you you guys i'm um 
quite close to my period, so I'm quite emotional, so don't mm. get me crying. Oh. <laughs> and actually, the one thing I will say is there is nothing wrong with being emotional, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so in Uganda, there's this lady called Razia Yazid. She's mm. 26. She's a feminist leader and activist working in Uganda, right, mm. on workshops to make reusable pads. Yeah. Uh, she delivers these workshops in homes, schools, and with internationally displaced persons in a right. camp. She lives in the camp, right? So she said to us, and I'm sorry this is being done in a Stephen E. Jackson. Much as I love my hometown, this should not be in a Stephen E. Jackson, but it would be worse <laughs> if I tried anything else. So you will find that most of the girls, the most of the girls who don't have access to pads are using dried cow dung. They oh, mold man. it into the shape of a pad and use this to pad themselves so they can continue with their life when they are menstruating. Some women and girls use leaves, some use toilet paper, some use paper books. And there's two things that tells me. One, extraordinarily resourceful and right. smart, oh. but obviously oh, fundamentally yeah. really dangerous, yeah. really troubling, and this is not what any sister should be living through. And we can, we can help change this. Yeah. So please, those donations really are important if you don't have the money because i know there isn't we know there is a cost of living, living crisis, crisis right totally respect that if you don't feel you can contribute financially we do campaigning that doesn't take any money mm. right you click buttons you speak to decision makers you use your voice and sorry speaking back to the point you made originally yeah. what we can do in our own space is have the conversations that we think think or society tells us we're not supposed to have right. be brave right. be courageous find your sisters find your brothers oh, find please. the dads yeah. and yeah, have yeah. those conversations that is so good and sisters we will leave the link in the show notes and the description box for you to check it out whether you want to make a donation or be a part of a campaign um we will make sure you have access to that so please check it out we know you guys rally to do women's work all the time all so the thank time. you um but even with that point, right, what can we do as women, as a global sisterhood, but also as a society to engage in the conversations or do whatever we can to not just on a global level, but even an interpersonal level, mm -hmm. right? And our bit of the world, make women's relationship with menstruation as well as their time menstruating better and easier. I think talking about how we all deal with it, mm -hmm. like sharing our experiences, our best practices. I was, I was saying to you, I think the thing that really overwhelmed me when I started reading your guys' backstory as to why you do this and this, this recognition that not everybody has a network, yeah. not everybody has people to talk to. Yeah sharing what works for us and there's that phrase i can't remember which of the uh suffragettes said it and i work with helen panker so i'm gonna get killed for forgetting this but wow. courage speaks to courage everywhere mm. right if you are courageous that spreads mm. in a mm -hmm. good mm -hmm. way yeah. right so have those conversations talk about our experiences my favorite painkiller for periods Get a very good friend or your partner, and you'll understand why I'm saying that, mm. <laughs> to take a big breath of air and blow a massive raspberry on your tummy because your uterus will go from groaning with pain to giggling with joy. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> but share all those stories, you know, that aren't mm. about medicating ourselves necessarily. Obviously, if you have to, you have to, right? Yep, yep. Yeah, well... <sighs> We don't talk about it enough. And that's why this is so important. Yeah. Talk, talk, talk. Say to your like school, your university, right, I'm going to put something on. I'm going to put on an event. Let's do something. We've got a group of people called community campaigners in the UK. And please join up. You can join up via the website, right? Two of them at a university, I think it was for their open day, they set up a stall. Wow. And they asked people to come and talk to them about what myths they have heard right. about periods. Yeah. One of them, which I thought was amazing, was that you can stop the flow, like you can stop pee, like you can just, yeah. I, I mean, I wish. you know that um, TikTok <laughs> that I was describing to you, that was literally one of the things that they said, like oh, guys it? have heard that a woman can just stop. Like um, basically I was explaining, I watched this TikTok of a guy being like, oh, he couldn't have sex with a girl he went on a date with last night. It was a skit um, because she was on her period and his friends around him were like, what you can have sex on her period and they were like but what is a period really like what hole is it coming from is it the same hole you have sex in um but then one of the things that one of them said was but she could just stop 
Like she could actually just stop is, having I the feel period. Like there are, and we obviously champion a lot of men in our society as like the pinnacles of intelligence. Why is it that that thirst for knowledge stops when it comes to the female body? That's good. Beyond consuming the body, it's like, how does this thing that's actually thing. function? I think it's like, the, the, so the satisfaction with consumption, right? Like to consume you is enough. And I think it's linked to the objectification of women as well. But at the same time, it's a lack of care. Mm. And I think a lot of us, are living in a society which relegates its duty of care to women in seeing them as humans is seeing them as Mm -hmm. experiencing something which can be painful which often is misunderstood and so many people are uneducated about but people don't care as long as they're benefiting from you and you present in a way that is still satisfactory you know if you look like you've got it all put together and why would we dig deeper like you've got you've clearly got it all together and I think it it kind of knocks well to individualism right (laughs) like you're saying we need to have conversations but when we're all dealing with things individually you just assume oh she's got it together like she's got it down she's going to handle her situation by herself I don't really need to get involved but I think it's the necessity to kind of stand up in the power of sisterhood and relationship to be like actually let's have a conversation what is your relationship with your period like you know it's not until mid-adulthood that I've even realized so many women around me have had issues with their reproductive health as well as their menstrual health and it's like wow how why did it take us so long to get here Mm. why did it take us so long to get to this conversation around you struggling every month or every six months like I have friends who have like fibroids endometriosis PCOS and other reproductive or menstrual issues and it's like so you've been suffering in silence and I'm your sister. Why didn't I know? Mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go on. Go for it. <clears throat> no, I was just wondering, like, when you when you found out you had PCOS yeah. and, and you were talking to friends, were they surprised you were open about it? Were they relieved? I think people are surprised by me in general because I talk about everything. <laughs> like, I'm very much, oh, I found out I had this thing. Now I'm going to talk to everybody about it because I, I'm quite big on destigmatization, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to like topics surrounding sex, body positivity, right. or our relationship with our bodies um, and different things like that, like interpersonal problems and relationships. And I'm just all about addressing the elephant in the room. Yeah. And so I remember Renee was actually there and our other friends, we have like a big friendship group called the, our squad. And um, we were having like a girl's night in, just chatting. And I was like, guys, I've been diagnosed with this thing. Obviously it was way, way better integrated in the conversation. We're like talking about, <laughs> <laughs> guys, breaking news. Um, no, it wasn't that, but it was more like, okay, I've, I've gotten this. And there was an immediate support, an immediate intrigue. Um, but I do think that people were not necessarily my friends who my friends know how I am and were always on standby to help in any way. But there were people in my life who were like, you know, you kind of need to hush about that, you know, because it does come with a, a stigmatization and a right. shame, especially when you think about the reproductive aspect mm-hmm. of like, oh, will you be able yeah. to have kids and mm-hmm. stuff like that? Like I've had you know, people who have questioned, listen, you know, you may struggle to have kids. You should think about that when you're picking a partner, you know, it may be something that someone has to settle for and da, da. And actually a lot of the time, the conversations that I've had around it have been around my ability to reproduce for someone and, else and, and not my actual pain. And this, oh my goodness. Yeah, and it, it's oh, crazy man. because my experience oh, my with goodness. PCOS has been unfortunately defined a lot by pain mm-hmm. and like exhaustion and tiredness mm-hmm. and finding out more about my symptoms and the physical implications of it. But oftentimes I myself and my feelings and my pain is not even centered in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's actually around my ability to carry a child and whether yeah. I'll be effective at that. Not only carry a child, but to what extent would you now be palatable to a partner right right? like to what extent will this cause discomfort in sexual relations or to what extent will this harm your chances of having a partner and i think it speaks to a broader point around the reasons through which we pursue reproductive health right Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. is it genuinely about women's wellness and health considering that reproductive health is literally everything to do with our health and happiness, right? Mm-hmm. The way that our hormones change when um, menstruation is coming um, versus when it's not, the way that um, we feel our emotions, the way that it actually impacts our capacity to function. Yeah. These things always come secondary to conversations around um, 
it comes secondary in conversations around reproductive health because what always comes first is how well can you compete as a woman in this particular space to find a partner and you see it in so many different um, areas right like one of my biggest gripes around things like for example birth control is why Mm. are we so obsessed with finding birth control specifically for women but then when we have conversations Mm -hmm. around birth control for men where all of a sudden everybody's like oh whoa (laughs) don't harm them we don't want to harm the sperm I think we really need to again center women's wellness, which is why women's communities are so important. Mm -hmm. And I think I even wanted to comment in terms of like me and Courtney's relationship is so transparent to the point where Courtney already knows, Renee, what's up? I'm on my period. Or Courtney, are you good? She's like, no, I'm on like day six of my period. It's 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 tight out here. To the point where like having these support systems in women where we're centering each other's wellness is so important. And that's also why we need to continue to have these transparent conversations around, you know, are you menstruating? Yeah. What are some of the, um, you know, uh, menstruation related issues you're facing? Are you trying birth control? Mm-hmm. What are you doing with your reproductive mm-hmm. health right now? How is um, what you're currently going through affecting your reproductive health a lot of people don't know you know stress for example can really affect your reproductive health people don't know that even when we think about for example sex so much of the onus is on women to ensure that things are okay you don't know that you know for example your partner's diet could be throwing you off you don't know that you know potentially having sex with this particular person at this time could really like mess you up for the next few weeks this could call you don't know if this person is you know when we're thinking about hygiene again the onus is on women but thinking about these sexual activities of your partner is a really important conversation um to to be had and then to broaden things out a little bit more even thinking about representation at every single element of a woman's life right Mm. we often think about reproduction actually having babies but What about afterwards? Yes. What about when you hit, mm. you know, 40s, 50s, 60s? Yeah. What about when, you know, you hit menopause? Like, do we have representation for that? Do yeah. we have enough people who are actually having conversations around mm. what does it mean to be somebody that is invested in your reproductive health over the course of a lifetime? Yeah. And when do we start having those conversations? Yeah. And I love how, like, when we were recounting our stories and you were talking about, you know, you would have thought that these conversations would mm. have happened earlier, mm. but that's so true for so many other things yeah. as well right yeah, like yeah. the conversations around having kids the conversations around menopause the conversations around fibroids pcos endometriosis these things need to happen early and they also need to be fronted by us like they yes. actually need women's yes. voices yes. to be empowered in these spaces yes. to share these experiences because speaking to those points about our involvement in our health as well yeah. there is the issue of being women from the majority world mm. us mm. and our conversations with our doctors right. and what they actually know about what our ethnicity, our racial background means Tasha, about you better go there today. You better go there cool. today. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was at uni, when I was 20, I went to the GP and I said, oh, I need some birth control. Mm. And this guy, he was a white guy, he said, is there a propensity for diabetes in your family? I'm like, mm. well, I'm half Asian. Like, mm. Everybody's diabetic. Right, right. Usually from the 50s onwards, so yeah. late onset. And he said, well, you can get the coil. I was like... I remember Lily Savage doing a joke about Yuri Geller and the dangers of being a woman with a coil when you're near that guy who could move metal with his mind. Yeah. And it's always made me wince. And I was like, I'm not having the coil. What else you got? Yeah. Uh, he said, well, there's the pill. Mm. And he said, but that can bring on diabetes earlier. I'm like, what, what choice are you giving me? And I'm right. thinking, I'm safe. I'm 20. Yeah, that's no, it's fine. Six months later, diabetic. Wow. And... I went back to the doctor and I said, obviously, I don't want to be on this. What is there? And I I do feel the fact that this was a woman I spoke to a second time made Mm -hmm, a difference. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is pre-sophisticated internet people. Get ready. (laughs) She had the confidence to get a medical dictionary off her shelf. And she sat and it took her a good few minutes. We sat there and quiet. She looked it up and she was like, the progesterone, I think it's called, Mm -hmm. injection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's totally safe. You should have been given that in the first place. It wouldn't have brought on the diabetes. Wow. So so those the importance of us equipping ourselves, because sadly other people aren't gonna do it, of us equipping ourselves with our knowledge about who who we are, Damn. the impacts yeah. we face. Like when we were talking about 
uh, Michaela Cole yeah. earlier, there's a really interesting bit where, yeah, she's she's having mental health crises and she goes to a doctor and he's like, well, you're black, aren't you? And she's like, do you want to know if I'm black Caribbean or black mm, African? I'm right, not really interested right, right, in right, that. Right, right, right. And he looks totally confused. Right? There is a real serious lack of sophistication sometimes in the conversations, yeah. lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we need to go in there with that knowledge. We need to go in there. And we also need to not feel pressured to have to be experts yes, before yes. we demand to be taken care yes. of and before thing. we actually share about our experiences because even you sharing that story right this is your lived experience mm-hmm. and I think there needs to be more seriousness placed on it in the medical medical field when people are being vocal about their lived experience it being seen as valid yeah. but also us then sharing that with other people and seeing it as impactful and important even though we are not medical professionals there is so much power and i would even say healing power in sharing mm. our story mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and being able to do that which is why i love the work that ActionAid is doing to allow other people's voices to be turned up to tell their story a bit better um but in terms of like menopause right Mm. I know that there are so many jokes surrounding it and I think it's realizing that our relationship with menstruation is actually lifelong right whether it's you know you're in the peak of it you're at your peak um in terms of your reproductive um capabilities or you are like yeah that season is behind me and you're entering into your 40s 50s or even if you're experiencing early menopause so what can we do as well as an intergenerational sisterhood to actually make sure that we are having this cross-generational discussion Mm. I think uh, one really helpful thing to do, and uh, I happen to be a trade union rep at mm. Action Age UK. Action Age UK is quite positive and uh, enthusiastic compared to a lot of employers about having an active trade union. That's there, a right? whole other episode, yeah. I tell yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, I feel confident in saying this, right? Join a trade union and ask that trade union to ensure policies are in place to ensure that anybody having their period and anybody going through the menopause are fully catered for, fully supported, Mm. are fully understood, Mm. right? The fact that we have to work through our periods, irrespective of if you have the odd day where you are flawed, where you might be vomiting, is ludicrous, right? And actually, actually, I'll give them... uh, self-care is one of our feminist leadership behaviors that we're encouraged to live um and we negotiated two self-care days so on top Mm. of all the holiday you just go you know what time out i need to do something Mm. for myself today and you can do that join a trade union and really be active Mm. and make sure that the needs of your sisters the needs of the women the needs of the boys the needs of the lot are met because employers are improved by the presence of a trade union you know so it's important thank you thank you wow what a conversation oh we've enjoyed having you to have you back tasha like honestly thank you for being so transparent and honest and vulnerable um but also for the work that you do honestly thank you for caring because i think like that thing we were talking about duty of care Mm -hmm. i think not enough people care. And I'm really thankful. We are really thankful that you care and you're doing this work and like ActionAid as an organization does care and is doing things in different regions through yeah. different means of campaigning, fundraising to actually make sure that this issue is not only spotlighted, but actually dealt with giving people the access to using their own power, right? And being allowed to do that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank and you if so I may, much. I want to say something to you too, right? Oh, oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there Gwyneth culture on you? Oh my gosh. Uh, no eggs. <laughs> so I I listened to your podcast recently, right? I want to get to know you two a bit. Yeah. And I, I said to you when I came in, I was like, I wish you two were around when I was in my 20s. When Amy Winehouse died, Tony Bennett said, the thing about life is the longer you live it, the better you get at it. Really mm. profound, really true. But then I was like, but these guys, they're doing crib notes for us. It's like they, they're analysing the stuff we don't want to look at again because it's all a bit exhausting and traumatising and you're chomping through it and you're giving, we, you're giving us like tools and it is so helpful and I'm listening to all of your back catalogue right now. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. As you said earlier, Tasha, Courage speaks to courage. courage. So we thank you for having the courage to join us. Honestly. We thank you for having the courage to support us. And 
yeah, courage continues to speak to courage. And um, it is a courageous thing that we do, you know, to step up out here and share our thoughts, our learnings, our bumbles yeah. with our sisterhood, <laughs> all in the hope that we can collectively come together and be better women, yeah. be better people and be better for society. Um, not for some kind of modernist, ah, oh, you know, progression and all yeah. that, but genuinely because we care about people. Yeah. Um, so it's honestly been an honor to have you and it's been an honor to hear that that was what you got from us because we all, we try. <laughs> we do, we do. We wow. try. Sisters, we hope that you actually enjoyed that conversation, that you also go into your week with a whole bunch of courage mm-hmm. and you have these necessary conversations um, and you feel comfortable doing so. So, as we always say, you come here, you see our sisterhood and what right. we've demonstrated here, but go and do sisterhood in your real life. Be right. there for the women and the menstruating people in your life to have these very necessary conversations. But also if you can get involved in this work, we know that we are currently fundraising to build our school, but this is also worth sending some coin to if you can. And like you said, it's for as little as, I mean, you can send a pound mm-hmm. or three pounds, right. um, seven, 10, whatever you can do, please do because girls women you know we're all about advocating and doing that work so if you can take part all the information will be down in the description and in the podcast show notes as well as where you can interact with action aids work and the things that we are doing over here at the sisterhood as well we hope that you did enjoy this conversation that it was thought-provoking send it to a sister send it to a mother send it to a man okay <laughs> heavy on the <laughs> heavy on the bed <laughs> on the mist (laughs) (laughs) but honestly follow us across all socials join our mailing list you already know the deal already but thank you tasha for being with us thank Thank you for gracing us with your wisdom and we will talk to you very soon as always keep glowing and growing We're Renee and Courtney, your online sisters, and we're on a mission to help women across the world become the best version of themselves through the power of sisterhood. That's why we've written To My Sisters, a guide to building lifelong friendship. From working out how to achieve your dreams to setting boundaries and managing expectations, this essential handbook will show you how to fully embrace the power of friendship and community. Packed with practical advice and personal stories from our decade-long friendship, we'll give you all the tools and advice you need to find, make and keep lifelong friendship. To My Sisters is available now online and at all good bookshops. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.